Listen, if 90s music don't do it, y'all are in for a long day, all right? So as soon as this, I got my Ric Flair going over there. I was just ready to like, man, welcome to Faith Church. Just like Pastor Steve said, we are so glad that you guys are here. We are kicking off a brand new two-week series today uh, called What Would Jesus Do? And we are going to celebrate in memory of the greatest decade of all time, the 90s. How many of y'all remember one of these bracelets right here? Raise your hand. You weren't a Christian in the 90s if you didn't have one of these babies right here, okay? Catholic, Protestant, I don't care what you were. If you were a Christian in the 90s, you wore a What Would Jesus Do bracelet because that's what the 90s in church was all about. Like these bad boys, they came in every color. You could get the rainbow kind. It does not matter. And I was blown away that they still sell these bracelets. So we're bringing them back. I'm telling you. I'm going to make 2018 the year of What Would Jesus Do. Is that good? All right, listen, you can go get one. It's awesome. But today we are going to kick off this series asking ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? That's what we did in the 90s. If you were a Christian, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And the 90s were amazing. How many of you, I'm just curious, large crowd today, how many of you would say, like me, that you were like a child of the 90s? Raise your hand. Okay, okay. How many of you remember the 90s? Raise your hand. Well, better. I mean, I know some of you were there, but I'm just, do you remember it? That was a different, a different thing. The 90s were, honestly, I think the 90s were the greatest decade of all time. The 90s gave us Dunkaroos. Y'all remember Dunkaroos? That was the best snack every single day at lunch. I had the Dunkaroos, and you peel back the little thing, and you dip it into the ice. It was fantastic. The uh, 90s gave us the Game Boy, right? For the first time, kids all over the world started gluing themselves to little screens, right? And that was the fall of mankind, basically. Um, honestly, listen, we wouldn't today, we wouldn't have um, so much of the knowledge we have about space without the 90s. The 90s gave us the Hubble telescope, right? The 90s gave us DVR. Y'all couldn't watch TV the way you watch TV today if it wasn't for the 90s. The 90s gave us eBay. It gave us Amazon, right? The 90s gave us the internet. Listen, the 90s changed everything told first service, I remember back in like the 90s, you would go to the library. This is before the World Wide Web. Some of you remember this. Kids, I'm going to blow your mind right now. There was actually this piece of furniture in every library across the country, and it had all these little drawers all over it, right? And if you wanted to know about a book, do they have a book? Where would it be? You had to go to this piece of furniture that had all these little drawers, and you had to pull out a drawer and, like, thumb through all these little cards just to see if the book that you wanted was there and where you could find it. Craziness. Now you just go to a screen, click it in, and boom, you got it, right? The 90s changed everything. And I don't even want you to get me started on sports in the 90s. Listen. Kids today have no idea what they are missing, especially in my favorite sport, which is basketball, right? Come on, y'all. 90s basketball, like players of today could not survive the elbow throws and the punches that were laid. Like it was a different game back then. And you cannot think of sports at any point, especially the 90s, right, without thinking of the greatest athlete, the greatest basketball player of all time, this guy, right? No, no. I see you. Okay. No, not him. This guy, please. Yeah, there it is. Come on. Everybody wanted to be like Mike. Right? 
Like kids all across the world wanted to be like Mike and you drank Gatorade because of it. You still go to like gyms all over the world today and kids cannot shoot a layup and they cannot take a jump shot without doing what? Why, you know why they do that tongue thing? Because Mike did it. Because they wanted to be like Mike, right? Started off 90s basketball, unbelievable, changed everything. And then like the late 90s came because I was also a baseball fan. And the greatest period of baseball history was when these two guys were going at each other, right? How many of y'all remember this? Listen, fighting it out to see who was going to be the first to break Roger Maris's career home run, single season home run record. Maris had held it for decades, and you got Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire in 1998, and they're going at it. Who's going to be the first to break it? Who's going to have the most home runs? And I get like steroids kind of threw a little like dent into the legacy, right, of these guys. I get it. But that still doesn't change the fact that baseball was more fun when these guys were doing that than at any point in history. You'd be sitting at home watching primetime TV. You got your favorite TV show on. You're watching Full House. You're watching Family Matters maybe. I don't know. And like Steve Urkel's kind of coming in. And then all of a sudden right before the, did I do that? Like right then like all of a sudden the news guy would jump in and like, I'm sorry to interrupt your programming, but Mark McGuire is taking the plate. Seriously, this happened every single time one of them was getting up because next thing you know, McGuire would hit two home runs and he'd go up ahead of Sosa and then Sosa would get up to the bat and he would come up and he'd hit a couple and he'd tie McGuire and then Sosa would go ahead and then McGuire would get to the plate and it was just this back and forth that was unbelievable. It changed like my view of baseball forever. Problem was then just like three years after McGuire set the record and broke it and kind of changed the game. Then this guy came along and like ruined it for both of them, right? <laughs> so now when you think of like, when you look in the record books, there's an asterisk there, right? But his name is up the top. You don't see McGuire, you don't see Sosa. Because, here's the reason, while I still believe like these guys are the greatest players of all time, Jordan, greatest, you can't, I mean, you can't argue with me. Obviously, pastor's really good at arguing with me. You can't argue, but like in my brain, you can't argue that Jordan's the greatest of all time. McGuire and Sosa and even Bonds, like these are the greatest hitters of all time, like in my book. But there are other people that feel differently. Do you know why? Because of this, their greatness is limited to their time and space. It's limited. You ask my dad who the greatest basketball player of all time, because he was a child of like the 60s and 70s, he's going to tell you Oscar Robertson every time. Every single time. Averaged a triple-double for his entire career. Like, oh, it's Oscar Robertson. I'm like, that's dumb. Like, are you kidding me? You think Oscar Robertson could play with Jordan? Now, kids, these days, guess what? You think Jordan could actually play with LeBron? No way. We can have these arguments, and all of us can be right, because we're arguing from our time and space. Those guys were the greatest in their time and space. But this series, what would Jesus do? See, it's not a celebration of Michael Jordan or Barry Bonds or any of these 90s figures. This is a celebration of Jesus because, you see, he's the greatest of all time. And it does not matter what time and what space you're talking about because he's not limited by those things. So as we break down this series, I'm not trying to convince you to be like Mike. I want you to be like Christ. I want you to ask yourself that question. What would Jesus do? 
And when you figure it out, then like, do that thing. Jesus told us himself, this is kind of the verse that we're going to hang out on for a couple of weeks. Jesus told us that you should be like him. In John chapter 13, verse 15, he said, I have set an example that you should what? Do as I have done for you. Well, what would Jesus do? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Because see, if you're new here to Faith Church, maybe you are one of our guests, maybe you're watching online right now for the first time, and you're trying to figure out who we are and what we're about as a church, if you haven't already figured it out as we've been through worship, right, as we've taken communion together, at Faith Church, we are all about Jesus. That, that's it. We are all about Jesus. Here at Faith Church, we believe that he is 100% God. We believe that he is 100% truth and accurate in everything that he ever did and everything that he ever said. So if you're here, you just need to know that if Jesus taught something, then we're going to teach it. If Jesus said something, then we're going to say it. If he said something about us, we're going to say it about us. If Jesus said it to encourage us, we're going to say it to encourage us. If Jesus said something to correct us, then we're going to use it to correct us. If Jesus said something to challenge us, then we're going to use it to challenge us. And that's what we're going to do today. See, I don't think the message that we're going to talk about um, today is anything that most of you have never heard before. Sometimes as a pastor, you get up and like you have all this brand new information and you can just kind of see out over the crowd that people are like, wow, I've never heard that before. And you see like light bulbs going off. This isn't that kind of message. This isn't really about us teaching you something that you didn't already know this is about us teaching you something that you do already know. The question is, are you actually doing anything with what you know, right? What are you doing with the knowledge that you have? Honestly, I believe this could be um, the most powerful day in some of your lives. I believe God has spent your entire life, some of you, getting you ready for the message that you're going to hear today. And if you'll open up your heart, if you will allow God to speak to you, and you will actually put into action the things that God says today, it'll change you forever. And not just you, it'll change the world. And that's the first thing I want you to do. As we get started, I want you to look at somebody, and I want you to say these words. Say, God created me. Say it, and I say, y'all ain't getting on board, and we'll just, I'll go back to the 90s music if I need to, to kind of get you there. Say this together. Everybody say, say, God created, God created me, me to change the world. Do you believe that? Like, God created you to change the world. Jesus, I don't care if you believe, I mean, I do care if you believe he's God, but it doesn't matter if you believe that he's God. It doesn't matter if you think he's really the son of God who came down to die on the cross. It doesn't matter if you think he raised from the dead three days later. You cannot argue the fact that Jesus of Nazareth changed the world. You can't argue that. He's just a historical figure. He changed the world. Billions of people are still talking about him today, still teaching what he taught today. So regardless of what you do with Jesus, he changed the world. And as his followers, guess what that means you're called to do? Change the world. That's what you're here for. So we're going to dive in today in a room full of world changers. And we're going to hit a story that's probably one of the most taught um, passages of Scripture in all the Bible. So all of you, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard this story taught. And it's the story that you'll find in Luke chapter 10. And it's called this parable of the Good Samaritan. 
Now, Jesus never called it that, but that's just what, like, the Bible translators labeled it as. Story of the Good Samaritan. Read along with me if you got your Bibles. If not, we'll have it on the screens. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 30. Luke tells us that on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, paint the picture just a little bit. Jesus is teaching, right? He's at the temple. He's hanging out. A group of people kind of like you are gathered, and Jesus is... I mean, he's not, I'm like, I'm not teaching like Jesus because he's Jesus and I'm not. But he's doing what I'm doing, just better, right? And all of a sudden, right in the middle of Jesus' teaching, somebody stands up somewhere in the crowd and he goes, teacher! He interrupts. Teacher, because he's an expert, so he thinks he knows it all, right? Teacher, um, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, I imagine he's kind of perturbed because I would kind of be a little perturbed if you started yelling at me right now. But um, Jesus responds, he's like, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the man answers, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus responds, he says, you've answered correctly. You got it right. Good job. You get a sticker. But then he told him, he said, now do this and you will live. So this kind of challenged the teacher, right? Because the, the, lead, like the leader, this expert in the law, is kind of now making a scene, and Jesus kind of punked him a little bit, right? Like, yeah, you got it right. Actually, do something with it. And the guy's like, listen. So in order to um, kind of justify himself, we're told, that the man comes back at Jesus in verse 29, and he says, okay, Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds with a story in verse 30, and he says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, Jesus is getting ready to tell a story using an example of a man taking a physical journey, like geographically changing locations from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, Jerusalem was higher in the mountains. Jericho was lower. So physically, this guy's getting ready to take a trip. It's about 18 miles long, right? In this day, in Jesus' time, This road that Jesus is talking about was known as the way of blood because it was the most dangerous stretch that any person could travel. This is like you taking a midnight stroll down the back alleys of Detroit, right? Like it's just, it's probably a bad idea, man. Like if if you can help it, let's not do that. So as soon as Jesus starts using this story, people are understanding like that's a dangerous trip to make. Traveling down, 18 miles down the way of blood. But you see... It's not just a physical, like, geographic location change. Jesus is also giving us a picture of a spiritual journey that many people take. See, Jerusalem, when you look at how that word translates, literally broken down, it's Jerusalem. Jerusalem stands for the city of peace. It was known as the city of God, right? It's the city where God's people were and God was taught. That's where the temple is, like the city of God. Jericho, on the other hand, when you look at how that translates out, Jericho is an Arabic word that means the city of the moon. What is the moon? It's darkness. There's no light in the moon. So literally, Jesus is telling us, yes, this man's taking a physical trip down from Jerusalem to Jericho, but it's also another picture of someone taking a trip from the things of God, from the place of peace, down to a place of darkness. And anytime you see somebody do that, anytime you as a person leaves the things of God, you always go down. And you always take a dangerous trip 
to get there. That's what Jesus is saying. So he says, the man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, this wasn't a surprise to anybody that was hearing Jesus teach this story. Right? That's what happened on the way of blood. But what I want to talk to you guys today, knowing that we sit in a room full of world changers, is I want to talk to you today about how to not change the world. How to not do it. Right? Jesus kind of gives us an example of a couple guys who, at least in this story, did not change the world. Luke chapter 10, verses 31 and 32, we're told, first, that a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So we've got a guy like me, a guy like Pastor Steve, right, whose job is to bless the people and speak on behalf of God to the people and sacrifice their offerings. And like, this is a, this is a big deal, right? Except the guy on this journey, he crosses over to the other side, seeing the man lying there, he passes on by. Verse 32 we're told that so too a Levite, the Levites in this story um, were a tribe that were totally set apart. This is the people of Moses from the tribe of Levi that God had set apart. These were, these were the servants in the temple. These were the volunteers that had the honor of serving in the temple of God. They got to carry the Ark of the Covenant. They got to carry the furniture inside of the temple. So like loosely translated, we've got a guy like me, a pastor, a priest, and we've got some bought-in church members, right, who have the honor to serve in the house of God. And both of us, both of these men, have made their way by, and they passed this guy, leaving him on the other side. Now, anytime you hear a preacher teach on this passage, these two guys always get the butt end of the deal, right? Like they're always used as the bad example. They're always used as how could you be that guy? And that is what Jesus is saying. But as I look at the story and I read it, I kind of get that there's always two sides to a story, and we're hearing one of them. So I tried the best I can to put myself in the place of the priest and in the place of the Levite to know what was going through their heads as they're making their way down this journey. Now you can say a lot of different things. There are people that will get up and teach that, you know, one of the things the robbers would do is they would set traps for people so that people would fake being hurt, right? So that if you actually tried to be good and stop and help them, then all of a sudden they would jump up, take a sword. They would then rob you, beat you, and leave you on the side of the road. So maybe, that's, maybe that was the thought going through these men's mind as they crossed to the other side and kept going. But whatever it was, I want you to know that it was a, it was a justification. Just like the religious expert of the law was doing. He was trying to justify himself. And Jesus is saying these guys were trying to justify themselves. The bottom line is whatever was going through their heads, it was an excuse of why they couldn't or shouldn't. Or... And so today I want to hit three of the top justifications, three of the top excuses that honestly I've heard a whole lot, right, doing ministry full-time and like living this life. Three justifications. Maybe one of the first thoughts that they heard was something like this. Listen, Adam, it's, it's not my responsibility to change the world. Maybe you've been someone who's made this justification. Maybe that's what those guys were doing. Maybe they had responsibilities in Jericho. Maybe like they had things they had to get to. We don't know what they were going to do. 
Maybe there was someone else who was dying that they had to go down, that they had to go take care of. Maybe they had pressing matters. So they say things like, listen, you don't know what I've got going on. Like I've only got so much time and so much energy and I know my responsibility is to take care of my family and my kids got this going on and those are my responsibilities. So it's not my responsibility to worry about somebody else. That's an excuse that people try to throw out but Jesus in pure Jesus fashion comes along and like cuts the legs right out from under that justification and that excuse. We're told in John chapter 13 verses 34 and 35 Jesus speaking to his disciples right as he's getting ready to leave. He's telling them, guys, i got to go away. I've been telling you about this, but one more thing, that there's a new commandment that I give to you. And he tells them, he says, love one another. Now, do you think love one another was a new commandment? No. These disciples who've spent years of their life following Jesus have heard him teach time and time again, and they've heard him use the love one another message, Right? Like, Jesus, that ain't a new commandment. But see, what Jesus did is Jesus is always somebody that ups the ante every single time. Like, you don't want to play poker with Jesus, right? Because he's not the guy when it comes around and you've done this. He's not the guy that calls the bet, like I call. He's for sure not the guy that folds. Every single time it comes back to Jesus, Jesus says, I'll raise you. Oh, you bet 50, I'll, I'll raise you 100. Okay, let's back around. All right, Jesus, I'll bet 100. All right, I'll raise you 200. Every single time he ups the ante. Do you know why? Because Jesus isn't interested in you up in the bet every single time it gets to you. Jesus wants you to take every chip that you've got and he wants you to push it to the middle of the table. He wants you to go all in. And so here's the deal. The new commandment wasn't love one another, but it was what came after that. He said, I want you to love one another. You've heard me say that, but get this. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Because by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Why? If you have love for one another. Well, how does, how does Jesus love? In this series, like what would Jesus do if he was going to show love? Well, he would die for you. He would lay down everything that he has. He would walk out of heaven willingly to come to this earth to put on a flesh suit so that he could walk a perfect life so that you could experience relationship with God the Father. He laid down everything for you. How would Jesus love? Completely. Totally. Was it his responsibility? Is he the one that sinned? Is he the one that screwed up? No. He didn't break God's law. We did. But you know what he said? I got it. This is my responsibility. And so we as Christ followers, you don't get to use this justification on why you can't love someone or why you can't reach someone. Listen, I got all this other stuff. That's not my job. That's not my responsibility. That pastor will do it. So you call the office. Pastor say, listen, so-and-so's hurting. They, could you just come pray for them? I'd love to. Have you prayed for them? No, I was kind of hoping you'd do that. You love one another. Just as I have loved you. That's what Jesus would do. And we call ourselves Christ followers. If you're following Christ, you've got to do what Christ did. He gave everything. Second thing, excuse we hear a lot. This, this is kind of my favorite. This is sort of my pet peeve. People are like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to change the world. 
I want to do it. I want to be involved. But listen, it's going to have to happen tomorrow. Because I got a lot going on right now. Like, you should just see my schedule, you know? Like, I got, I got Mondays, I got this, Tuesdays this, you know, little Johnny's got Little League on Tuesdays and Thursdays, Sally's got dance on Mondays and Fridays, I go, you know, take care of my house and got to do stuff with my family on Saturdays, you got church on Sundays, like, my schedule is so crazy, I, I want to serve, I want to be involved, I want to I wanna love my neighbor, but I can't, I can't do it right now, I got to get some stuff straight, but, but one day, I'm going to love, listen, I, I know I want to give, but I got these student loans. I got this debt. Like, I'm working to pay this off. And you talk about that 90-day tithe challenge. And you talk about being, you know, a part of what God's doing here. I'm going to do that tomorrow. And can I be real honest with you? The devil loves this one. This is his favorite. Because he will celebrate you in this. He will support you in this. He loves that you want to change the world tomorrow. Because he knows that eventually, the more times you say tomorrow... Tomorrow becomes next week, and next week becomes next month, and next month becomes next year. And the next thing you know, you're 5, 10, 15 years down the road, and you have nothing of eternal significance to show of how you've loved people because you continue to allow your schedule to override doing anything else that God has called you to do. I want to change the world, but I just want to do it tomorrow. Again, we're not given that option. Look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, Paul tells us, he says, working together with him, that's God, working together with him then, we appeal to you to not receive the grace of God in vain. Vain, Receiving it in vain means don't take it lightly. Don't just think that this is a gift that you've been given that's just kind of a, oh yeah, it's cool, you know. Don't take it in vain. Spider-Man said it one time, right, with great power comes great what? responsibility. Paul's saying, don't take this grace, this gift that God's given you in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I helped you. And I like this next word. I want to bring this back to like 2018 vernacular. He says, behold. It's like, pay attention. Look at this. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow. It's not next week. You're not guaranteed those things. I want to take, I want to love, I want to give, I want to serve, I want to, but I got to do it tomorrow. What would Jesus do? He'd do it now. Because that's how you love people. That's how you would want other people to love you, and that's how Jesus loved us. And as Christ followers, that's how we're called to love other people. And in doing so, you will change the world. But you don't want to, that's all right. Just say, I'll I'll do it tomorrow. And you'll never make an impact on anything as long as you live. The third excuse, I like this one because this is the easiest to shoot holes in. The third excuse is this. Listen, I want to change the world and I'm, I'm ready, but I'm, Adam, I'm just one person. I can't change the world. And you know what? I'll give it to you. Maybe you're not the most popular. Maybe you're not the most outgoing. You're not the most charismatic. You're not the most engaging person. But the cool part is you look throughout history. You pick any world-changing moment that you want to. You know the cool part? It always starts with one person. 
That's the only way it's ever worked is with one person. Jesus continues on in this story, Luke chapter 10, verses 33 through 37. We're told that after the priest and the Levite passed by on the other side, these are both Jews leaving a Jew on the side of the road. We're told that a Samaritan comes along. This is the enemy of the Jews. And as he traveled, he came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And so he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Do you know what that oil and wine represents? That represents the Samaritan's possessions. He laid those things down. He gave them to the man that was needing help. Why? Because he was showing him love. He laid down his possessions. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now, just think through this rationally. If he takes the injured man and puts him on his donkey, then what do you think he is now doing? He's walking. An 18-mile journey. We don't know where on that journey this took place, but it's a good chance that this guy put the injured man on his donkey and took off on an 18-mile walk through dangerous terrain, putting himself at risk so that he could love somebody else. I'm curious how many of us in this room would walk a mile to help somebody else, putting yourself in harm's way putting your personal convenience and comfort aside for somebody else. That's what the Samaritan did. The next day after he wakes up and he spent all night laying down his schedule and his timetable, which I guarantee you did not include stopping and helping an injured man on the side of the road, after he's laid down his schedule and his possessions and his personal comfort, he gets up the next morning and he goes to the innkeeper and he took out two denarii, that's money, took out his wallet and he tells the innkeeper, listen, look after him and when I return, I will pay more money. Take this two denarii, when I come back, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Then Jesus looks back at the religious expert and he says, so, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And at this point, the religious expert's cooked. He has no choice but to yield in this debate in front of all the people. But he can't bring himself to say the words, the Samaritan. And so he just says, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, yep. Bingo, you got it. You have answered correctly. Now, go and do Likewise. Yeah, you're right. You want to inherit eternal life, you want to experience the kingdom of God, then you got to love God and you got to love people. How do you love someone? Who are the people that you're supposed to love? You give everything, because that's what I did for you. That's what Jesus says. Laid it all down. My possessions, my time, my personal convenience, my resources. Laid it all down. And he tells us, now go and do likewise. See, as Christ followers, you're called to change the world because that's what Jesus did. But the only way you get to change the world is you take everything that you have and you lay it down for other people. So the question, here's the challenge. I told you it probably wouldn't be anything you've never heard before. The question, though, is how are you doing with the knowledge that you already had? 
How are you loving people? How much of yourself are you laying down? If we as just faith church, forget like we as Christianity, if just us as faith church, if every single person in this church loved people the way you love people, how much love would come out of this house? Jesus said that that's how people would know that you're my disciples, with the way that you give of yourself for other people. If everybody in this house served the way you serve, how many people would be loved and cared for? If everybody here gave like you give, how would we be doing right now? Would the lights be on? Easter's two weeks away from right now. Invite cards out in the lobby. Let me ask you a question. If every single person, Pastor Steve included, if we all invite people like you do, how many people can we expect on Easter Sunday? See, that's laying your life down. But yet we still have all these excuses that we throw out there. You're called to be a world changer. Ephesians, Paul tells us, chapter 2, verse 10, he says, For we are God's handiwork. Some translations say masterpiece right here. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The opportunities are there for you because God's already put them in front of you. Just like the man laying on the road, you guys are going to go to work and you're going to go to school and you're going to go through your week. And there are going to be opportunities all around you for you to love people. How are you doing? Would people look at you and say, they clearly love Jesus because I can see it with their love? Or are we full of excuses? Ah, you know, I don't have enough money. I'm kind of struggling here. You know, your income level doesn't change the fact that you're God's masterpiece. It has no impact on it. James chapter 2 verse 5 tells us, James says, listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love them? So your money, your resource has nothing to do with it. Your education level, your physical health has nothing to do with it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. It says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to do what? Shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You got no excuse. You have zero excuses not to love people the way Jesus loved you. Yet, I like this is another good one, right? Adam, I'm just too old. I'm too young. Most scholars tell us that David, when he was anointed to be king, Most scholars tell us he was somewhere between 10 and 15 years of age when that happened. Pronounced king of Israel. They tell us that he was somewhere around 15 or 16 when he slayed Goliath and saved the nation. It's a preteen. It's a teenager. David steps up and he changes the world. Caleb, Joshua were 85 years old when they took the promised land and began killing the giants to kick them out of the land that God promised them they could have. So I got a teenager and I got a senior citizen. You know what they're doing? Changing the world. You know why? 
Because that's what Jesus would do. So that's the question. Whether you got the bracelet or not, as you go through this week in every situation, in every circumstance, what would Jesus do? In this conversation, what would Jesus do? In traffic, when sitting at your desk at work, whatever you do with every opportunity, what would Jesus do? And if you'll do that thing, I promise you, you will change the world. Pray with me. Father, thank you, God, for your son. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to be our example, to set the stage so that we could see you, that we know those things that you did. We know how you laid down your life for other people, God, to the point of dying on a cross for us. You didn't have to, but you did it anyway because you love us. And God, I pray that as we as a church, we as your people go throughout this week, Father, that you would give us the courage, that you would give us the faith to do that very thing, God, that we would go and do likewise. God, I know you have called us as a people to be world changers. And I pray that by your spirit, you will allow us to see it happen. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.